Well, this morning, I'm going to be talking to you guys about that last parable that I just talked about with the children. We talked about the lost sheep, we talked about the lost coin, and then we talked about the father that had the two sons. And as I was preparing my heart and thinking about what I wanted to talk to the congregation about for Sunday morning, um, I was trying to continue with the theme of uh, looking at Bible characters and studying their story. And um, I also wanted to try and, and tie it in with the fact that today is Father's Day. And so I was thinking about different fathers that we could look at. First of all, I looked at Abram and Isaac, and I thought, nah, I don't like that one. <laughs> then I thought about, um, I thought about uh, Jacob and his father, fathering abilities, and I thought, nah, that's not a good one either. Um, I thought about all these, I thought about Noah, he's not a good father example. I thought about uh, lots of different fathers, that, and I was like, none of them, none of them measure up to what I want to talk about this morning. And then the Lord brought to mind this story, and I was like, yeah, but it, that's a, that, he's a made up character, he's not real, a real person. And, and, and I thought, but it's still a very powerful story about what it means to be father. And what, 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 what the idea of fatherhood is about. And so as I reflected on it and thought about it and chewed on it, I did some reading and did some studying. And the more I read, the more I was convinced that this was indeed what God wanted me to talk about this morning. So we're not going to take the time this morning to read through every single part of this story because it goes from uh, Luke 15, 11 all the way to 32. And we don't have time this morning to read every verse. Let me just give you a short synopsis of this story, and then we'll talk about it. Jesus is, is confronted um, by the religious leaders. In chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the leaders of the, of the temple and the leaders of the synagogue, were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. And that's when Jesus told these different parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then finally the parable of the father who had two sons. And I found it interesting as I read this. And you know how something jumps off the page at you? You know, you've read it a million times, but all of a sudden now it's significant for some reason. The very first part of this parable of the father with the two sons, it says, he said, Jesus said, there was this man who had two sons. And the younger of the two sons said to his father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And from the time I was little, from the time I was probably first or second grade, I've always heard of this story as the story of the prodigal son. The son who Throws his, uh, th- throws his hands in his fist into his father's face and says, I don't want to have you in my life anymore. I just want what's coming to me and I'm leaving. And when I was in Bible college, I read, I mean, I was asked to preach a sermon out of Luke 15. Every single person in the class was required to, t- to prepare a sermon out of, the, out of the gospel of Luke chapter 15. So we had a choice of the lost sheep, the lost coin, or, the, or this story here. And I thought, everyone does the son. Everyone does the parable, the prodigal son. So I focused on the older son, the one who stayed home. And if you read in this story, at the end of this parable that Jesus is talking about, the um, older son is out in the field working, and his son, his brother has come home, his father's received him, And is now throwing a huge party. And it says that the older son shows up and he hears music. 
and and here and 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 dancing going on. And he says to one of the servants, "What's this? What's going on?" And the servants, "Oh, your brother has returned, and so your father has killed the fatted calf, and he's received him back safe and sound." And all of a sudden, the older son was angry, and he refused to go in, and he just stood out there in the yard, going, "There's no way I'm going to celebrate this guy." There's no way. He, that profligate, I am not celebrating him. And that's what I preached on when I was in Bible college. I focused on that guy. But the reality is, the primary part of this story, the real whole crux of this story, continues to get overlooked as people preach this sermon over and over and over again. It's not about the young son who was a lost prodigal. It is not about an older son who is stubborn in his ways. It is about a father and the way he responds to both of his sons. And we're going to look at that this morning. Now, one of the other things I want to say before we look at this story is you will hear in today's world in uh, certain veins of, of Christian thought that we need to stop using gender language when it comes to referring to God. Because there are too many people in our culture who have been harmed by a bad mother or a bad father. And so let's stop using these terms because it offends people. It keeps them from the gospel. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but Jesus himself said, God the Father. Jesus himself said that he was the son. And so we will continue to use this idea. And if it bothers you and offends you, come and talk to me privately. Because then we can maybe sort out why there's an offense. Because the reality is, this story of all stories in the Bible tells you why you would want God as your father. This story, if you read, if you do some study, as I've just done this week, you will find that many scholars consider this not just a parable, a teaching of Jesus, but that it is allegory, which means that the characters within the story represent something else. Now, as I read to you at the very beginning of this chapter, there was this confrontation by these religious leaders to Jesus going, wow, he just thinks he's all that because he sits around with sinners and tax collectors and he eats with them. This is ridiculous. And what Jesus, what the, what the, the folks who talk about this being an allegory say is that the father in this story represents God. The prodigal son represents the if you will, the Greek or the, the sinners or the pagans or the ones who are in rebellion against God. And then the older son represents the religious people who think they're all right relation, in right relationship with God and they shouldn't have to put up with all of these sinners, these people that are, that are, that are, they don't need to be part of this. And so, so if you look at it in that sense as an allegory, then the story of who the father is is very important to us in this story because it gives us a very clear picture of God as our Father, as God, of God as the one over the calling of the lost, the ones who have been forsaken, who have felt that they have been shamed, who have been, um, who had a sense of, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. So let's look at this father and the way he responds to his two sons. First of all, as I said, we have a situation where the young son says to his father, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. I want it now. Now, it was not, uh, it was not, it was taught that you shouldn't do that. 
But it was not against any law. It was not against any uh, cultural thing. It could happen legally that you could give someone their share of the inheritance before the person died. So what Jesus was teaching here was not something that was inconceivable, but it was not culturally acceptable. And it was an affront to the father. It was literally thumbing his nose at the father saying, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. Now, in that culture, because there were two sons, the law, of, the, the law of Moses, if you look it up in Deuteronomy, which I'm not going to give you the reference, you can look it up later for yourself. But in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, it specifically addresses this. And it says the eldest of the family gets a double portion. And so what that means is, is that in this case, there were two sons. So you add a third divider. So there are now three parts. The eldest gets two and the youngest gets one. So in dividing the estate, that's how the father would have done so. Now, the other thing that, that's always bothered me, and I'm not going to get into it too much here, but the father didn't just take his full estate and divide it into the thirds and give a third of it away, because he's still alive. He's still living on his stuff. And so apparently there was this part that was set aside as the, for lack of a better way of saying it, the 401k that he had set aside for his future. And so he looked at that amount and he said, let's divide that into thirds and the oldest guy gets this and the younger guy gets this. So he cashed in his 401k, he rolled two thirds of it back into a new 401k, he pulls out what he, what he needs for his youngest and he hands it to him. And then the youngest says, see ya, and walks away. And then, as we all know, the father went, no, son, no, no, you've got to, I've got to watch out for you. No. And so he follows him and stays with him to make sure that he stays safe. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that the father stays running his own life in his own home. And the son went off on his own. And I was like, well, how in the world is that allegorically like God? And as I was reading, as a matter of fact, it was just yesterday's uh, uh, devotional. I was reading out of the daily proverb. So the daily proverb of yesterday was Proverb 15. And if you go to Proverb 15, verse 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. This is the idea that God does not have to necessarily go physically with that person. God can see what's going on. Whether it's evil or whether it's good, God can see what's going on. It's this idea of God's omniscience. He knows everything. God's omnipresence. He can be everywhere at once. But the reality is, what we're hearing about the, an attribute of God is, in, in Proverbs 15, is that God sees it all. A corollary to that is found in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So there's this idea from the Old Testament and from the New Testament that God is is able to see everything that's going on in our in our life and Hebrew gets Hebrews I mean excuse me Proverbs says he sees the good and the bad Hebrews says he sees you when you're in the shower 
There's nothing you can hide from God. Nothing. And so this idea is, is that, that God sees everything that we do. Every moment of our day, there's nothing you can hide from God. So if you know the way that you're supposed to live and you're choosing not to live that way, God is seeing that. The evil and the good. God sees you in your corners and under the tables and in the shadows. God sees all of it. This is the understanding that Hebrews, I mean, that, that uh, Proverbs and Hebrews both teach us. So bringing, going back to this idea of the Father in this story, if he indeed is an allegorical representation of God our Father, he was aware of everything that was going on with his son, even though his son wasn't present. Now I'm stretching a little bit because we're not given that. But if we use the idea that this is an allegory, and we're talking about this as a representation of God the Father, then the Father in this story is aware of everything that's going on in his young son's life. It tells us that the young son takes the money and he runs. One of the, one of the scholars I read said it's like he, he went to Vegas. And he had a great time. And he gambled and he hung out with beautiful women and he drank and he ate and he had a wonderful time. And then all of a sudden he reached in his pocket and the last coin was gone. And he didn't have anything in reserve. And all of a sudden he's got a problem. And he ends up finding out that he can't even get into the rescue mission because they're full. And so he's walking around going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And all of his buddies who hung out with him for so long have abandoned him because he has nothing to offer them anymore. And he ends up, literally in, in, in the story that Jesus told, he ends up at the lowest point that any human being from their perspective could reach. He ends up caring for pigs. In that culture, in Greek culture, in Roman culture, that was the lowest of the low. And then it says, after he's done that for a while, and he's literally wishing he could eat the pods that the pigs eat because no one's given him anything, all of a sudden... It says, he comes to himself. And, and it, that literally means he comes to his senses. And he realizes, I'm sitting here struggling like this. And the servants in my father's household have food. And the servants in my father's household are safe. And he takes care of them. I, I know I don't deserve to be his son anymore. But I can at least ask to be a slave in his house. So I at least have something to eat. And so he gets up out of the pig pen and he walks back to his place. He's barefoot, he's in rags, he's filthy, he stinks. And he's on the road home. And we're told that when the father sees the son, he immediately leaves the house and runs down the road and falls on his neck and kisses him and hugs him and loves on him. Now, the son has prepared this statement I'm not worthy to be your son. I am unworthy. Would you please just welcome me as a slave in your home? He had this whole speech he was going to say. And his father didn't even give him a chance to say it. The father literally just grabs a hold of him, hugs him on the neck, weeping, I'm sure. And just says, my son, I love my son, I found my son, I found my son. And his son's like, I don't deserve this. No, you can't treat me like this. This is wrong. I am filthy. I am disgusting. I am vile. I have wronged you horribly. No, you can't do this to me. And the father says, yes, I can. I love you. You're my child. I welcome you. I love you. I'm so excited to have you home. 
And he literally turns to his servant and he says, bring the best robe we've got. Get my signet ring and put shoes on this kid's feet. And they bring out the best that they've got. And they clothe this kid. And this young man is standing there going, I don't deserve any of this. This isn't, I'm not worthy of any of this. But the father won't hear about it. The father simply says, you deserve it because I declare you deserve it. And then he orders that the calf that has been fattened and been saved for some special occasion be killed and they throw a huge party. And he calls in musicians and people in the town come and there's this huge celebration. Isn't that cool? The grace of this man. Have you ever had somebody spit in your face? I have. I literally have. It was an eight-year-old boy. I was 24, 25. He spit in my face and it was everything within me to keep from pulling him off of that counter and thrashing him. That was my initial response when that happened. And I had to just go, okay, okay, okay. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. But that initial... (sighs) And that father in this story had every right to destroy that young man when he came back. Who do you think you are coming into this house? Who do you think you are thinking you're going to come back here into my good graces? You've already pulled this crap over. I'm not pulling. I'm not receiving nothing. Get out of here. That's what the normal expected human response would have been. And that's what the son was expecting. That's why he prepared the speech. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Please, just let me be the lowest of your slaves. Please. And the father's like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. Nope. And grace upon grace upon grace is poured out on this young man who does not deserve it. And then the hyper-religious older brother comes. Party's going on. Dad's inside dancing. Woohoo! Doing doing the thread or something. I don't. My granddaughter can do it. I can't do it. And then all of a sudden he hears that his son has come in from the fields, and his older son refuses to come in and join the party. If that was you, if you were the parent, how would you be responding in that moment? What would you be doing? There is the potential that you would say, look, if you want to be that way, that's your business. We're here celebrating. This is a reason to celebrate. And if you're not able to celebrate, fine, we'll deal with it later. But the father saw that it was important to have a relationship with his son who was struggling. So he leaves, he quietly leaves the party. He doesn't make a big deal about it, I'm sure. The party's going on. The young son's oblivious to the fact that his father has just left. There's this huge crowd going on. There's musicians, they're dancing, they're singing. It's wonderful. And the father quietly goes out into the yard. And he comes up to his older son. He says, what's going on? I am not going in there. You can't make me go in. There's no way I would ever bring honor to that. Your son. And the father's like, you need, to, you need to understand. And see, I didn't intentionally did not put words with this picture. Because we don't know who that father is hugging. Is he hugging the younger son who just came back? Or is he out there in the yard hugging on that older son 
who is so stuck in his, in his own righteousness and stuck in his own world that he can't forgive someone who's caused harm to their house. We don't know from that picture. But you can see on the father's face, I desperately need you back. I need you to be part of my life. And that father stood out in that part, in that, in that front yard. And I can imagine that he grabbed a hold of his son and he said, you need to, you need to let this go, man. You need to let this go. Join us. Please join us. And that's where Jesus' story ends. We're not told the resolution. And it's because it was telling it to these people who were stuck in their own religiosity and they had to come to their own conclusion. Are they going to welcome these tax collectors and these sinners and understand that Jesus had to go to them? Or... Are they going to, be, are they going to uh, be stuck in their own religiosity and not welcome? And we're never given the end of that story. But we're focusing on the Father. And in both cases, the one who thumbed his nose at the man and took what was his and walked away, and then had no right to come back, but came back anyway, he was given grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. The son who had faithfully served and never left but had a skewed perception of who he was in the house. He didn't receive a chastisement from his father. He received grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And see, that's how the Father, God, responds to every single one of us. God who sees everything. God who knows everything. God who can you can't hide from. God, when you turn to him... He welcomes you. Before you turn to Him, He's drawing you because He desires relationship with you. And that's what it means in this story for us. It is that God desires for every single one of you to be in right relationship with God. Are you the one who has faithfully served in the church and had been the... the the, the little Nazarene Nancy your whole life and done everything right and you just feel like the attention's on everybody else but me and I don't ever get any, any benefit from being part of this. I've done faithfully served and I've given my tithe and I've, I've served in Sunday school and I've been here when there's work and witness teams and I've just served and served and served and served and nobody ever recognizes me or gives me even anything. Or are you the person who has been out in the, in, the, in the world literally thumbing your nose at God saying I don't have anything to do with you God but you sense the Holy Spirit of God drawing you, wooing you and then there's this I don't dare go because I, I've done too much bad I, I, I'm not worthy of his love, I'm not worthy of his grace I'm not worthy of, of anything why would he want me and I have to tell you, the truth of this story is that he does want you. He wants you. If you are a child who has been in right relationship, but for whatever reason, you've allowed yourself to become complacent in your walk with God. You've gotten away from reading the scriptures. You've gotten away from praying. Yeah, you go to church, but it really doesn't mean a whole lot to you anymore. God desires you. 
God has grace and love and mercy for you. And you don't need to be embarrassed and you don't need to feel ashamed. You don't need to go making excuses. I chose that scripture in Matthew chapter 8 of the centurion. What did Jesus say about that man? He said, I have not seen such great faith in all of the nation of Israel as I'm seeing in this Gentile. One who says, you don't have to come to my house. I'm I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Well, do you know that that is actually part of the liturgy of 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 some of the high churches? When you are in the worship service at some of the high churches, there comes a point where the pastor, the priest stands before the people and he says, examine your heart before you come forward to take the communion. See if there is anything in you that is not uh, pleasing to the Father. And literally, they quote this, except they change it. Instead of saying, uh, speak the word and my servant will be healed, the liturgy says, I am not worthy for you to come on, I, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come unto my roof. Speak the word and my soul will be healed. And it's done three times in the service. I can tell you very recently in my own life, I was in a situation where I was asking the Father to to forgive me of something. It was something that was really, really, really bad. Not that I robbed anybody or that I've stolen, that I've murdered, but it was bad. It was causing problem between me and God. And I literally found myself weeping and beating my chest. God, forgive me. I am not worthy. I can't even really expect you to forgive me, but please speak the word so that my soul will be healed. Please. This is beyond me. I can't do it in myself. And what I received was not a chastisement and not a scolding and not a, I told you, none of that. What I received was my father running off of the porch of his house, meeting me where I was, Throwing himself around me, welcoming me. And I didn't even have to go any farther in my confession and repentance. He received me. He welcomed me. He loved me. And he said, you are my beloved child. So this morning, as we celebrate the Father's, Let's focus on what it really means to be the Father. For some of you, everything's right. For some of you, eh, it's been okay, but it's not so great right now. For some of you, you never had a relationship with Him. This is your moment, this is your time, this is your opportunity. Do not let that moment pass. If your heart right now is doing this, that means the Holy Spirit of God is talking to you. If you feel anxiety, if, the, if, if you feel just a little bit of, that's the Holy Spirit of God talking to you and saying, there are some things we need to settle. And I encourage you, do not let this moment pass without settling it. Because guess what? God loves you and desires you and wants it to have right relationship with you. And he is full of grace and full of mercy and he is welcoming You have nothing to fear. Let's pray.